Well, it's good to be with everybody tonight. Glad that you're here. Hope again that you've got your Bible with you. Uh, if you do, you might open to the book of Matthew. That's where we're going to begin our study tonight, and we're going to continue through Matthew this evening, tomorrow night, and on through Wednesday. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about this series of sermons, or the few that I've got for us tonight and the following few nights. Uh, a number of years ago, I was living up in northeastern Ohio, and I was working night shift at a uh, local hospital. I was sitting with patients that were either a danger to themselves or perhaps maybe by, might be a danger to other people, and so I'd sit outside their room, and I'd watch them sleep. Uh, the lights would be dim and dark, and I'd have maybe a little bit of a lamp here next to me. We did have some lights on, and and I'd bring uh, copies of this little New Testament that I've got. I'd make photocopies of whatever passage of Scripture I was studying for that week for the sermon. And I would sit up watching them through the night and checking on them, you know, every quarter of an hour. And I'd read over those pages and I'd make notes on those, uh, on those photocopied pages of the Scriptures. Um, and so it's, it's in those long nights there at the hospital watching these patients that I was reading through Matthew and I was putting together these sermons. I'm going to share with you. I, I think that these. I think these are some of these. These are excellent sermons, and I'll tell you, it's not because they're my sermons. These are excellent sermons because this, I think, is the. This is the heart of the message that Matthew has to tell. Uh, each of the gospel writers, they all have the story of Jesus, but they all have a different sermon that they're preaching. And so we ought to study them individually. Sometimes we, we want to clump them together like the, the life of Christ. And, and I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily wrong. But each of the writers has an evangelistic message to communicate. And we need to hear what that is. I'm going to, sit, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to offer to you tonight a few chapters in the middle of the book of Matthew because I think that this is the heart of the message that Matthew has to communicate. Uh, tomorrow night, I think we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9 specifically, uh, dealing with compassion, and then there's a couple others. We want to talk about James and John wanting to be Jesus' lieutenants and talk about real commitment uh, maybe on Wednesday night. And, and uh, 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 so we'll, we'll, we'll go through some of these as we, we go along this week. But anyway, I, I, these, I think these are powerful messages. These, I, I'll tell you, these are life-changing messages. They changed my life. And again, it's not because they're my sermons. It's, I think this is what Matthew is communicating. It's the power of the Scriptures that, that changes lives, that, that, that molds us and makes us people like Jesus. So I want to talk to you tonight about having faith not only in Jesus. We need to believe in Jesus. We need to have faith in Jesus, but not just in Jesus. We need to have faith in the man and God's method. And so let's talk about that as we go along tonight. So if you want to skim through Matthew chapter 17, 18, and 19, uh, as you look at those chapters in your Bible, maybe you have little headings in your Bible text that will tell you a little bit about what's going on in different paragraphs. But I'm going to, I'm going to suggest to you that there are they seem to be unrelated events that are being discussed in these three chapters. And so you read through the chapters, and you read through the chapters, and you read through the chapters, and you read through the chapters. And then you begin to see that they're all, they're not really unrelated. 
There is a message that Matthew is carrying through all of these seemingly unrelated events. And so you have things like the transfiguration. Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and there he is changed. He's transfigured in their presence, and they see also Elijah and Moses with him, and Peter speaks out a turn, and, and then they come down the mountain, and, and there's, a, there's a boy that's demon-possessed, and the other disciples aren't able to cast the demon out. And so Jesus cast the demon out, and then the disciples ask about why we couldn't. And then there's this issue about the temple tax. Who ought to pay it? Who doesn't need to pay it? Jesus asked Peter a question about that. Who do people take a tax from? Uh, went too fast. Uh, who's the greatest? The disciples are always arguing about who's the most important. And then you have these parables that Jesus tells about the 90 and 9 sheep that were safe and the one that was lost and the shepherd goes out and looks for the one. And then how many times should we forgive our brother when they trespass against us? And then of course in Matthew chapter 19, if, if you hear me say Matthew chapter 19, right? Any preacher that talks about Matthew chapter 19, we've got we to talk about divorce and remarriage because it's in Matthew chapter 19. Well, what does it have to do with what came before and what comes afterwards? And then, of course, the rich young ruler. Oh, I, I, again, they seem to be unrelated, but there's a, there's, a, there's a theme woven through all of these events. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. Notice that the disciples have a, they have a lack of faith. Here's the key verse in these chapters. Here's the key verse. It's chapter 17. They come down from the mountain, Peter, James, and John, with Jesus. They come down from the mountain. They see the, the boy that was demon-possessed. Could, the others couldn't cast it out. And so the response is here. This is Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 and 20. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and just by the way, a mustard seed is really small. Um, you don't really need more faith. You just need to use the faith that you have. Just, just do what you know to be right. And Jesus says, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you'd say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible for you. Why was it impossible for us? Jesus says, nothing would be impossible for you. You could do it. There's something wrong with your faith. But, but what did they lack faith in? Don't they believe in Jesus? Yeah, of course they believe in Jesus. They are Jesus' disciples. They have abandoned everything to follow Jesus. Yes, they believe in Jesus. Absolutely they believe in Jesus. They, uh, they, 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 they would promise their commitment to Jesus in, uh, in, the, in the last evening that they're with Him. Yet they believe in Jesus. But listen, if you go to the beginning of the book of Matthew, Matthew has been cultivating. Again, I, I suggest to you that this is not just simply the life of Jesus. Matthew has an evangelistic message to preach. And so he begins, in chapter 1, he begins with the identity of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? And so in the beginning chapters, you might, you might notice that even though Matthew doesn't spell this out, um, if you go to a place like in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is preaching before the Jewish council, Stephen, right before he's stoned and they lay their cloaks at the feet of Saul of Tarsus, 
Stephen preaches a sermon and he draws this com comparison between Jesus who was who was rejected but chosen by God, who worked miracles, wonders, and signs with Moses of the Old Testament. And so he'll make these bullet points. If you read down through Acts chapter 7, you'll see where Stephen makes these bullet points. This is the one. This is the Moses. This was he. Well, Matthew's doing the same thing. He just doesn't spell it out for us. He doesn't tell us this Jesus is like Moses of the Old Testament. But think about what happens in the beginning few chapters, right? Jesus is called out of Egypt, right? They flee into Egypt, and then just like Moses leads the people out of Egypt, so also Jesus comes out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, I called my son. There's the slaughter of the innocents, right? In the days of Moses' infancy, Pharaoh commanded all the baby boys were to be slain. So also when Jesus is born, all the baby boys, Herod orders to be slain. They're baptized, right? When the children of Israel come out of Egypt, Paul says when he writes to the Corinthians that they were all baptized into the cloud and into the sea. And so also Jesus, he comes out into the wilderness and there he is baptized by John. And then what do we read about in Matthew chapter 5? Sermon on the Mount, of course. But Jesus ascends the mountain, just like Moses ascended Mount Sinai, and there he received God's commandments. So also Jesus ascends the mountain, and he sits down to teach. These parallels, these comparisons. Moses, Jesus. Jesus is the prophet that was, that was promised to be like Moses. You have this identity that's being built up in the beginning part of the book of Matthew. Jesus' power to forgive sins. Look at this in Matthew chapter 9. We'll talk about this again a little bit later on uh, tomorrow night when we get to Matthew chapter 9 once again. But here Jesus forgives sins. And, and, and just notice the context here. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 6. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. And they begin wondering about this. Could this be the son of David? Could this be the one that we're talking about? So he demonstrates with miracles. Uh, just as Moses had demonstrated with, with miracles, um, Jesus demonstrates with miracles. It proves that God is the one that sent him. And then we have, and in fact, his identity is contemplated by the people. Uh, notice these chapters. This is chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 27. We're going to go from 8 to 27, uh, or I'm sorry, from chapter 8 to chapter 11 to chapter 12 to chapter 16. Notice how this begins to build. And so we have this, he's like Moses, but he's more than Moses. He's like Moses. He does a lot of things that Moses did. We know that God sent Moses. Jesus is doing a lot of the same things. Maybe God sent him. They ponder his identity. Chapter 8 and verse 27. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What kind of man is this? Who is this guy, this Jesus? They're following him, but they're pondering, Who is he? Chapter 11 and verse 3. Chapter 11 and verse 3. Are you the expected one? This is the question that John has. Uh, John sends, John the Baptist sends two of his disciples. 
I think we'll talk about this on Tuesday night, sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the expected one or should we look for another? They're thinking about this. Who are you? Who is this Jesus? Chapter 12. Chapter 12 and verse 23. And the crowd were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David. Can he? Maybe this really is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that we're waiting for. And then, of course, you know chapter 16. This is where Jesus asks the disciples, Who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, Well, some people think that you're John the Baptist. Come back. And some people think that you're one of the prophets of the Old Testament, uh, of, uh, of old times. And, and who do you say that I am? You're the ones that have been with me the most. You're the ones that have had the, the peek behind the curtain. So who do you think of me? Or what do you think of me? And you'll remember that Peter responds to Jesus in chapter 16. In chapter 16, in verse 16, he says, You are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, we're only halfway through the book of Matthew. And the big answer, the big question's already been answered. Who is Jesus? That's what Matthew's been building up. We're only halfway through the book. There's 28 chapters. We're only at chapter 16. There, there it is. So what do you do with the rest of the book? See, they believe in Jesus. They believe in the person of Jesus. They believe in the work that Jesus is doing. That's why they're His disciples. But they don't, they don't yet believe in the manner in which it's going to be accomplished. Because what does Jesus talk to them about right after Peter's confession? Look at chapter 16 again. This is, this is a pinnacle moment. This is a climax in the book of Matthew. You are the Christ. And then what what does Jesus talk about immediately after this? He talks about his death. Right? Verse 21. Chapter 16 and verse 21. From that time Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying... God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, pause there for just a moment. Do you think when Peter, uh, the Bible says that Peter rebuked Jesus, uh, do you think that he, uh, how, do you, how do you envision that happening? That Peter rebuked Jesus. How, how do you envision that, that taking place? When I, when I think about that, I don't think that, uh, I don't see Peter being mad at Jesus. Uh, I think it's, I think it's, the way I would envision it is Peter comes to Jesus and says, Look, Jesus, Jesus, you're bringing everybody down, man. We're on your side. We got your back. What, what's all this talk about, about rejection? They're not going to kill you. They're going to have to go through me to get to you. We're on your side. It doesn't matter what they think of you. You're, you're going to succeed. You're going to win. Quit all this loser talk. Jesus responds to him and says, Get behind me, Satan. 
get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Now, when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, that, that's a gut punch, isn't it? And there, I think there's some significance to that, especially when we think about what had been described earlier in the book of Matthew. See, see Peter was willing to do anything to keep Jesus from dying. That's what he's talking about. He's not giving up on Jesus. He's not abandoning Jesus when he rebukes Jesus. He's on Jesus' side. He has faith in Jesus. Jesus, I'll do anything for you to succeed. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and the mob comes out to arrest him, you remember what Peter does, right? And, and, and everyone here, you've all heard this in a Bible class or in a sermon before, that Peter was not trying to cut off his ear. He cut off his ear, but that's not what he was trying to do. He was trying to take the man's head off and he just, he just slipped a little bit. That's Peter's commitment. Jesus, they're not going to take you. When I told you, I, I would go to my death for you. I meant that. I, I'm ready to fight all of them single-handedly. They'll have to go over my dead body to get to you. I believe in you, Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. And I think we need to appreciate that in these disciples. I think we need to appreciate that in Peter. They believe in Jesus. And so when Jesus says that they can't cast out that demon because of the littleness of their faith, it's not that they don't have faith in Jesus. They believe in Him. And yet Jesus says, you're a stumbling block to me. You're a temptation. Like when He was tempted in the wilderness back in chapter 4. You, you remember that, right? And so following Jesus, it's going to require carrying a cross. It's going to require that. Look, look again at what's said here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 now. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone, not only himself, I'm going to my cross, but if anyone wishes to be my disciple or anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the other verse I've got noted up here is Paul, Paul describes himself as dying daily. I die daily. Now, these men believe in Jesus. I, I, you know, there's, a, I think, a principle here in the Scriptures that Jesus is laying out. And, and James, uh, this is James chapter 1, uh, James is a lot like uh, the message of Jesus, particularly the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of similarities between the letter of James and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 4, 5, and 6. Uh, but James begins... Uh, you know, some, people, some people, when they read the book of James, they see it as like the, the New Testament book of Proverbs where you just have a bunch of unrelated wise sayings. I, I, don't, I don't see it that way. I, I think James chapter 1 and verses 2, 3, and 4, I think that this is the theme of the book of James. And then all of the other events 
relate back to this theme. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, testings, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We understand this. If you want to grow big muscles, how do you do it? You grow big muscles by working them out, by putting them to the test, right? By straining them, and then they grow back stronger. Our spiritual muscle works the same way. Now, I, I have heard people say that they enjoy working out. I don't know if I believe them. I think, I think they enjoy the aftermath, but I don't think they enjoy... Maybe I'm just not mature enough for it. But I, just, I, I, I have my questions about that. I, I really do. I have my, they might rejoice in the moment, but I don't think that they're necessarily happy about it. They're happy with the results afterwards. The testing of your spiritual muscle makes you spiritually stronger, makes you mature. And so not everything that, that feels hard, that feels difficult, that is challenging or painful is necessarily bad. No discipline for the moment seems joyful but sorrowful. And just because something feels good doesn't mean it is good for you, right? I like potato chips. They taste good. They make me feel happy while I eat them. And then I don't feel so happy because I can't sleep that night, right? That's what Jesus is talking about here. Now hold all that in your mind and, and we'll move through the book of Matthew. So then Peter who's just confessed Jesus, his faith in Jesus, who's just been rebuked himself by Jesus. Can't you imagine Peter would be confused by that? Uh, Jesus, I'm on your side. Why do, why do you pro, present me? Why, why, why do you think of me as the enemy? I'm, I'm on your side. I'm your biggest supporter, Jesus. Why are you calling me the devil? So Peter's got all this rattling around in his brain, thinking about all of these things, and he goes up on the mountain with Jesus. And Jesus is changed. Read this with me. This is Matthew 17, verses 1, 2, and 3. Six days later. So Peter's had some time for this to be mulled over. It's marinating in his brain. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter, for just a moment, is allowed to, to, to pull back the curtain. Or the curtain, rather, is pulled back for Peter and James and John. And they have an opportunity to look behind that veil and see Jesus as he really is. Jesus isn't in danger of losing. They see Jesus as He really is in all of His glory, in all of His power. They hear the Father speak from heaven. They have this rare glimpse into the way things really are. Uh, the book of Revelation, I think, really plays... Uh, I, I think the book of Revelation demonstrates this, that what we see is not way, the way things really are. Um, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, that second letter, he says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. 
uh, Revelation chapter 12. I, I love that chapter. That's the chapter about the great red dragon. I've often pictured it like a boxing ring. You got the great red dragon, you know, you got the you got the announcer right in this corner weighing in at 12 ton the great red dragon. And in this corner the baby, right? Well, who's going to win? Who's going to win? Obviously the dragon's going to win, but the dragon doesn't win. Well, Peter and the other disciples, they believe in Jesus, but what do they see when they see Jesus? They just see another guy. Now, they're confused by the miracles that he does, and they don't always understand what he's talking about. But they're confident that he knows what he's talking about. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I, I'm confident. I may not understand you, but, but you understand what you're talking about, and I know I need that. When they see Jesus, though, they just see another guy. And so God pulls back the curtain and allows them to see Jesus in His glory for just a moment. And then they come down the mountain and there's this issue with the demon that can't be cast out. Verse 14, when these, And when they came to the mountain, a man came up to Him and falling on his knees before Him, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and very ill, and he often falls into the fire and often into water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't cure him. And Jesus answered and said, Oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy, and the boy was cured. See, here's the issue. They had cast out demons before. You remember, Jesus had already sent the disciples out on the limited commission, and he gave them authority specifically to cast out demons. They come back and report with amazement that even the demons obey. They have cast out demons before. So why can't they now? See, it's not a lack of faith in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. It is a lack of faith in God's method. Jesus explains it again. This was the text we began with. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you'd say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it would move. And nothing would be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. I'm just going to offer you a suggestion. You weigh this out. You see if this isn't the case. I'm going to offer you a suggestion. I think the problem here is when Jesus says that the littleness of your faith, the lack of faith on your part, it's not a lack of faith in Jesus. I think it's that they've not been praying and fasting the way that they ought to. I think that's what it is. Now, I know that there are some variations in this, in this verse. Um, some versions don't contain uh, this verse. Uh, Mark chapter 9, though... Uh, there are again there's some there's some there's some textual variants there concerning the matter of fasting uh, but Jesus specifically says it's because they hadn't been praying it's 
because they, 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 this kind will not go out except by prayer. So I understand that there are some textual variations here, but I think the point still remains. If you go to the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, what is faith? It's the appropriate response, right? Noah, by faith, acted. He prepared the ark. By faith, Abraham went out. Uh, by faith, uh, 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 Moses' parents preserved him alive. Uh, so we, we have this appropriate response by all these great men and women of faith. So what is God's method? I believe in Jesus. You all believe in Jesus. We're here tonight because we believe in Jesus. Maybe even have as much faith in Jesus as Peter does and say, Jesus, I'd go to my death for you. But what is God's method? What is God's method? It's the cross. That's it. It's the cross. That's God's method. Here it is, Matthew chapter 17, verse 22 and 23. And they were gathering together in Galilee, and Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered or betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Now remember, this is after what he had said to Peter in chapter 16. He repeats this same idea now that they've come down the mountain, Jesus rebukes him for why they couldn't cast out the demon because of the littleness of your faith because you've not been doing what you ought to be doing. Praying and fasting or praying alone or whatever it is, you've not been doing what you ought to be doing. And so Jesus repeats this, that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and he's going to be killed, but he will be raised the third day. And the Bible says here in the book of Matthew that they were just deeply grieved. If they don't ask him about it, Maybe they don't even know what to ask. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You feel all kinds of ways about whatever's going on, but you don't even know the questions to ask. They're deeply grieved. Yeah, they, they were grieved. But what is Jesus without the cross? What is he? What is Jesus without the cross? What, what is your faith without the cross? You know, when Jesus was tempted back in Matthew chapter 4, remember, Je Jesus calls Peter the devil. Get behind me, Satan. Well, what had Satan done? Back in Matthew chapter 4, you remember the last temptation in Matthew's gospel? They go up onto a great high mountain, and the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a span of time. And he says to Jesus, all of these I will give to you if you but fall down and worship me. Now, I've been in lots of Bible classes where this passage has been discussed and there's been discussions about whether, whether it was possible for the devil to actually offer this, whether these kingdoms did belong to the devil. I think that's all beside the point. It wouldn't have been a temptation if it wasn't something that he could have got. If I paraphrase, well, I'm going, I'm going to paraphrase. If I paraphrase for you what the, the conversation between the devil and Jesus there in the wilderness when they go up on that high mountain, it goes something like this. The devil comes to Jesus under a white flag, flag of truce. Jesus, I, I, I want to parlay with you, you know. I, I want to talk with you for just a moment. Look, uh, so you're going to be king, I know that. 
um, fine with me. That's okay. Uh, but listen, I got a deal. I got a deal for you. Uh, so hear me out. Uh, I will help you by just getting out of your way. You want to be king? You come to be king? You're going to be king? Nothing I can do about that. That's okay. But listen, I can help you. I'll get out of your way. And so you can be king with none of the blood and crucifixion stuff, none of the rejection. Everybody's going to love you. Everybody's going to accept you right away. So you don't have to deal with the cross. You don't have to deal with the rejection. You don't have to deal with all the blood and the death and all that kind of stuff. Easy peasy. All you got to do is say that I helped you. That's a good deal. Doesn't cost you anything. All you got to do is say I helped you. That's the temptation. The shortcut. That's the temptation. I'll make you king, Jesus. If you want to be king, I'll make you king. And you don't even have to deal with the cross. But what is Jesus without the cross? Is he a savior without the cross? Is he our hope without the cross? What, what is he without the cross? He, he. He's of no help without the cross. That's God's method. The cross. You can believe in Jesus. I hope you believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, I want to talk to you later, but, but, but I hope you believe in Jesus. But you've got to believe in God's method too, and the method is the cross. You've got to take up your cross. Every one of you got to take up your cross in order to follow Him. And so notice what happens in the next few chapters. I'm going to run through this real quick. We sometimes ask ourselves, do I really have to bear this? Yep. It may just be your cross to bear. What happens in these next few chapters? Uh, Jesus talks about uh, uh, not causing offense. Uh, to whom do people take their taxes? From sons or from strangers? Well, they take it from strangers. Well, this is the temple tax. Jesus is the Son of God. Does He owe the temple tax? Well, no. He says, so as not to cause offense. He tells Peter to go out fishing and then take the coin and pay the temple tax for himself and for Jesus. So as not to cause offense. Did Jesus have a right to refuse to pay? He absolutely did. He's the Son of God. He doesn't owe it. Must I really give up my rights if they cause offense? I, I don't know that I've really been in too many situations like that. That may not be my cross to bear. But you know when Peter or when Paul talks about liberties in 1 Corinthians and he's talking about eating meat, he says that if it causes my brother to stumble, if it's going to be a problem for my brother, then I'll just not eat meat. I don't know that he means I'm just not going to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. I think he's saying, look, I'll just give up meat. That's, that's a big ask. Must I really bear this? 
Uh, must I really come to the aids that have made aid of those who have made foolish decisions? The, the story of the one lost sheep, the 99 that were saved, going out and seeking the lost. Well, maybe they're lost because they were too dumb to stay put. Have you ever felt that way? Now, I'm not asking you to, to name names or think about anyone particularly, but have you ever felt that way? The people that are in the mess are in the mess because they made dumb decisions. What's, what, we have a saying for this. They've made their bed, now they can, they can lie in it, right? Would you go out and seek these lost souls? Must I really do that? Uh, must, I, must I really forgive? How often should I forgive my brother when he trespasses against me? Must, you, must I really forgive it? Must I really let it go? Must I really forego what I'm owed? I want to end on these last two because the, these, might, these might punctuate the point the best. I don't know what particular cross you have perhaps to bear. Uh, and maybe it's not even one that's listed here, but these are just to give you a sampling of what, what's taking place. It, it's about bearing the cross. You can believe in Jesus all day long, but you have to take up the cross to follow him. And so in Matthew chapter 19, he talks about, he talks about divorce and remarriage, right? He talks about divorce and remarriage. And Jesus explains it to his disciples. And what do the disciples say? Do you remember this? What do the disciples say in response? If that's the way that it is being married, what do the disciples say? So this is Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 10. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is, very, it is better not to marry. And Jesus' response is, well, not all men can accept this statement, but only to those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who have been made by eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept it, accept it. Let him accept it. Must I really live a single and celibate life? Now, I wouldn't describe it this way, but I've heard it described this way. Must I really live without love? Well, I'd, maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's your cross to bear. It may not be your neighbor's, but it might be yours. I was talking to this woman a couple of weeks ago. She uh, had grown up coming to a church of Christ uh, and uh, her grandmother was a faithful member of the church, uh, but she was divorced from her second husband, and she was all interested in getting married again. And we, we talked a little bit about what the Bible says, and uh, she says, well, you'd be one of those preachers that, that would have women stay in abusive relationships. I didn't say anything about that. I just said that I don't think you have a right to get married again. The Bible doesn't give you a right to be married again. Her husbands hadn't cheated on her. She just divorced them because she made bad decisions. Are you really telling me I have to live single the rest of my life? Well, that's what the Bible says. That's your cross to bear. Do I really have to be celibate? Do I have to live without love? Maybe. Maybe. Or the last one here, the rich young ruler. What's Jesus tell the rich young ruler to do? Look at this. I'll finish with this one. 
Matthew chapter 19, verse, uh, let me see, uh, so uh, verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things I've kept from, uh, what am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell all you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But, the, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And sometimes we ask the question, well, do we all have to sell all that we possess in order to be faithful disciples of Jesus? No. No. But it was His cross to bear. It may be your cross to bear. I don't know. You may have to sell. You may have to leave. You may have to give up, give away even, your stuff. All of it, some of it. You may have to. That may be your cross to bear. Just like it's not everyone's cross to bear to be celibate, it's not everyone's cross to bear to be impoverished. But it may be yours. You believe in Jesus? Of course we believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus' method? Do you believe in the cross? Jesus went to the cross. That was God's method. For him to be savior, for him to be king, you have a cross to bear too. You have faith in God's method as much as you have faith in his man. Listen, if you don't believe in Jesus, then we need to talk. I'd like to talk to you a little bit further. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more tonight. If there are those who do believe in Jesus and they know that they're lost, they know that they need his forgiveness, and we invite you to come to be baptized tonight for the forgiveness of those sins right now while we stand and sing.